Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. episode 115 with Dan Perbanek on steelhead, bass, pike, and muskie. I always start with uh, a background on how my guests got started in fishing. So I'd love to hear how you got started in fishing and uh, specifically in fly fishing. Yeah, well, so how I got started in fishing, I, I come from a very large family, mostly boys. Um, like I have nine brothers, so there's there's 10 boys. And then we have, we are blessed with one sister. Um, oh my God. <laughs> who is also a pretty good fisherman. Um, and I'm I'm second to youngest. So I have, you know, eight older brothers, one younger brother. Um, they're all into the outdoors, into fishing, hunting, those kind of things. Um, and they were always, you know, as I look back at it now, you know, I always, uh, I, I didn't understand how nice it was and uh, how great it was for them to always take me along, even though I was much younger at times and probably a pain in the butt sometimes because they were always, you know, when you're teaching a, a new angler uh, things, you know getting tangles out and getting snags out and all those things but they always made sure to uh take me with them whenever I could so that's how I got started in the you know just regular spin fishing and then as their angling uh kind of developed over the years they got into fly fishing and then they just kind of took me along with them down that path as well so mostly mostly my older brothers or 100% my older brothers what was it like growing up as a member of 10 children like that, or I guess 11 children then if they yeah. get the sister in, what, what was that like? Oh, you know, it, it's, it was wonderful. It's wonderful. You always had somebody to do something with, you know, whether it was to go hunting or go fishing or, 
go to the movies or you know whatever it was you always had people to help you uh when you had a little problems or difficulties or had chores and you know family functions holidays were always great because we all got along great we still all do get along great um you know so i i loved every minute of it i i couldn't be uh happier with 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 having a large family i think is awesome did it feel crowded at all not, not not when you're among friends and loved ones, right? You know, the more the better. So yeah, never never felt crowded. And was the was fishing kind of a whole family thing, or did it kind of trickle down? Like some older older sibling got started in it, and it kind of trickled down from there. Was it like the whole family, including the parents, are all like we're all twelve of us are go, or whatever are going out fishing today? Yeah, no, definitely not my parents. They were very busy with other things. Um, a lot of cooking. You know, a lot of folding clothes, working, those kind of things. Um, so it was definitely my couple of older brothers, my oldest brother, Victor, mainly my oldest brother, one of my older brothers, Jeffrey, uh, my brother, David, uh, was very instrumental as well. So definitely, definitely more my brothers, uh, 100%. Mom, mom and dad were very busy with other things. <laughs> and uh, so, so walk me through how you got from, from that to where you are today. Sure. Um, so... You know, it, it was never a, um, if you, you know, before I opened the shop in 2006, even if you would ask me in 2003, had I had any interest in really opening a fly shop or had I ever thought about it, the answer probably would have been no. Um, you know, I, you know, grew up, you know, went, went, went through school, went to high school, went to college. Um, I have four older brothers who were attorneys. So I, uh, looked at looked at that maybe joining them in the in the law firm that they have in Pittsburgh. Um, so I you know my undergraduate studies were planning for potentially going going down that path. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to work for for them and with them and alongside them in in the in one of the offices for about a year while I was applying to law schools and taking the LSATs and that kind of stuff. And realized that while they are very good at it and they love it and are very passionate about it. It wasn't for me. So, you know, after that, I kind of, I did a little guiding in, in the hunting world. I did a little guiding in the fishing world and I really wasn't sure which direction I was going to go. Um, and I wasn't really concerned about it either, to be honest with you. Um, I figured the right path would present itself. And I, it's what my girlfriend at the time, uh, my, who is now my wife, Megan, she was the one who said, like, why don't you open a fly shop? You know, we were living in Cleveland and I was like, boy, a fly shop, that's something I've never really considered, right? <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, we'll take a look at it. And so we looked at the, you know, all the things you need to look at when you're potentially going to open and start a business. And most of it made sense, not all of it, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of things looked like, uh, that the potential was there for for having a successful business and our steelhead fishery was kind of in the infancy here in Cleveland at that time you know it was a very good fishery but it just wasn't as well known um so and you could see that the the, the potential was definitely there and that it was going to um probably get to where it is now right over time um there was definitely a need for a fly shop on the east side of Cleveland um you know there there really wasn't uh, anything being offered um, for a lot of anglers, uh, especially with with the fishery we we did currently have in the fishery that it was going to become, and then obviously everything else that comes with the fly shop, right, with the classes and the destination travel and those kind of things. So, you know, that's it was kind of, it was more her idea than mine. So I always blame her. You know, like hey, this was your idea, um, but uh, 
that that's kind of how it came about. Tell me more about the logistics of opening a fly shop. You know, what goes into, you know, you start, I feel like the minimum is, you know, you sell flies and then naturally you probably guide trips, you start classes, you start all these things. Um, what's, what's that progression like? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, <clears throat> obviously it's changed a lot. I'll tell you that it's definitely changed a lot and it was obviously changing when I first opened right with the online world and everything else. So, um, you know, but, but right now, it, back then, what you, ha- it's, it's multifaceted. You can't just open the doors, have a fly shop and expect people to come in and support you. You know, you have to offer several different things to your customers. Um, obviously one of them being a good selection in your store, right? Of rods, reels, flies, leaders, tippet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you also have to have uh, some expertise, right? You have to you have to know your stuff. You have to be um, not just a good angler and a good fisherman, but you have to be able to uh, be a good teacher and be able to share share that knowledge with your customer base and be passionate about it and uh, ha- have them kind of, you know, w- when you go into a good fly shop and you see the guys or the girls you're used to seeing, you know, if they're upbeat and they're passionate and they're excited about it, you know, you, you have to have that as well. Uh, but you have to have all the little things too. I mean, you have to offer casting classes. You have to offer fly tying classes. You have to, you know, do all the things to get the community involved in wanting to and coming to uh, a local fly shop because, you know, it is very easy uh, to just get most of the things otherwise, just, you know, but with the click of a button on a computer, right? So you have to give folks a reason to. I think that's the biggest thing these days, giving folks. You have to give folks a reason to want to come into the fly shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that like? Are you trying to develop um, kind of a community? Like when people come in, you know, what what are you hoping that they see when they come in or experience when they come in that makes them say like, oh, I want to, I want to be in this shop. I want to be here physically. Like, um, you know, sure. obviously it might be just getting fishing tips for the local area, but uh, I feel like a lot yeah. of fly shops now are kind of trying to kind of cultivate more of a a culture, like a hangout culture almost in the fly shop. Yeah, for sure. I think that's important. Um, so. I think what a fly shop can offer that a lot of people miss out on these days. Now, um, obviously, not everybody has a local fly shop, right? So that that can be tricky, um, you know. And if they do, it's far away. But I, I I think more than anything, what what a local fly shop can offer the community is, if, depending on who's in there and who's running it and who's employed, obviously, um, is just really help introduce newer anglers to the sport really shorten the learning curve, really help take a lot of the questions out of it much sooner and much quicker and help clarify things for them. And then obviously, um, you know, as you're doing those things, you know, the people, you know, they start to, you you, you develop relationships, right? It's also very important, uh, the relationships you develop and, and why you're developing those relationships. So when they do come into the shop, um, and they, and, you know, like Cheers, kind of, right? The old—I don't know if you're old enough to remember the, you know, the the sitcom Cheers. But when you when you walk in and you know who's going to be behind the counter and you know who might be tying flies and you've had discussions and experiences with them before and they've all been positive, um, you know, and you just want to continue that and, and continue to develop to develop it and build those re. You know, it's not really customers at that point. You know, most of the folks that come in the shop these days, I definitely. Uh, would just consider friends that we've we've made over the years for sure that just happen to also come in and, and buy things at the shop we're at. 
And what do you find to be the most challenging thing about running a fly shop and guide service? You know, any of it, but uh, what, what's the hardest part? Business-wise, the hardest part's the, you know, battling the uh, the online consumerism, you know, which, which I get and I understand. Um, but I think the worst thing um, a lot of anglers can do, especially new anglers, is go online and buy a bunch of gear and then come in and ask me how to use it and what to do with it. Because not that I mind, but usually they buy all the wrong stuff. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be the one to tell them like, you know, this is okay, but you, you really sh- should have got, you know, A, B, and C instead of X, Y, and Z. But um, so that's difficult because you, you do lose a lot of sales to online stuff, but I also understand the convenience of it. And we don't do anything online. Um, I don't know that we will maybe someday, but, uh, and then, you know, the other thing is just, you know, there's a lot of moving parts when it's you know, to keep an inventory, especially when, you know, when we've had a lot of supply chain issues, which are getting better, uh, but they definitely affected the fly fishing industry as well. I mean, simply a matter of, you know, guys come in like, hey, what, you know, you're a little low on hooks or where's this or where that, where's that? And it's like, hey, you know, we order it and order it and they just, they just don't have it, you know, but, but those, those, um, um, problems have been addressed for the most part and they're not as bad as they were. You know, other things, you know, like I said, you have inventory issues, you have employees, you have guides, you have, um, you know, guides that are, you know, we're running a few hundred trips a year and then, you know, rescheduling clients when, when things get blown out. I wouldn't say anything, obviously then you got payroll and then you have, you know, just just it's just a lot of moving parts nothing is overly difficult about running the business but it's just uh there's a lot of things that you have to keep your finger on you know 24 hours a day i'm curious now uh is there a common thread among the people who come in with the wrong gear like do they go online and you know the internet tells them that they need a nine foot five weight because they assume they're only fishing for trout and then you know they come in wanting to target steelhead or like what is 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 there a common thing that they get wrong when they come in with their with their equipment that they bought online? I think that's a big part of it. So, you know, if you go and you look for, hey, what's the most common length and weight of a fly rod, right? You're going you're gonna to find nine foot five weight. And like, oh, I bought this nine foot five weight to go steelhead fish. I'm like, cool. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a little undergunned there, but uh, it's not going to work so great. So I think that's a lot of it. Um, I think a lot of it too is if if you're online, if, if Katie's online looking to buy something from Dan and I don't know you and I don't I really don't care what I sell you because I'm never going to see you again and the next Katie's going to come along in 10 minutes and buy something else. Um so I, I really think, you know, that, that not that it's kind of that uh buyer beware type thing. You're right, you know what I mean? I just I think a lot of people who are selling things online maybe not intentionally. And I think that a lot of it is unintentional. I think a lot of people selling things online don't know um, you know, they have an online store that's a warehouse and, um, you know, their main thing is volume, right? I want to sell the most stuff I can to the most people I can without really being passionate about developing the sport of fly fishing and sharing your passion and knowledge and love for the sport with people, which is more what we try and do. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're online, a lot of times you're not even going to talk to a person. You know, if you go on and sure. I, I can find a nine foot five weight without ever talking to a person, I can go on and sort sure. my cheapest first. And now I've got my first yeah. fly rod and the internet told me that it's going to be the most versatile rod for North yeah. America. And then, uh, you know, no one was even given the opportunity to steer me astray because I came in and I added it to my cart and I checked out and that was that. 
So yeah, I think there's just a, a little bit lost there if somebody doesn't know what they're doing that they they could easily pass through you know three different sections of red flags without ever being told, hey, you know you should stop here and think about this before you click buy. That's definitely a lot of it for sure, for sure. Moving on a little bit to the the fish themselves, we're going to hit a couple different species here. I think mostly steelhead, but what species are primarily being targeted in your area? So definitely number one, and the reason we opened Chagrin River Outfitters is for the for the steelhead fishing. Great Lake, you know, Lake Run Rainbows, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, right? I don't I don't care about that argument. <laughs> just... Yeah, no, I don't either. <laughs> I just know they're fun to catch, and I'm glad right, we have them. Right. Um, so. So that's number one. You know, we're we're lucky. Our steelhead fishery, uh, we have a lot of rivers to fish. We have good numbers of fish. We have a lot of public access. It's a nice long season. I mean, most years, you know, we start fishing around mid-October, and our fishing goes right through mid-October all the way through, you know, into the end of April, early May. Now, some years, you know, January and February get a little cold and the rivers ice up and, and we take a little break. But a lot of years, you know, the rivers stay open and we're fishing straight on through. So we have, we're lucky because we have a nice long season. They're talking about, I mean, I don't know how many months that is, but six, seven months of pretty solid fishing. Um, so that's definitely number one, um, at least as far as most of the anglers uh, where they where their attention is focused. We also have very good smallmouth fishing. Um, and we have two different types of smallmouth fishing in our area. Uh, obviously, they're both smallmouth, but uh, one one fishery we have for the smallmouth is right around the time the the steelhead fishing starts to kind of wind down. Uh, we get big smallmouth that come in from Lake Erie to to spawn, just like the steelhead do. Um, and while it's not a a numbers game most of the time. You know, you can legit catch a six, seven, eight pound smallmouth out of one of our tributaries in 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 May and June. Um, and it, you know, and obviously not all of them are that big, but it's it's uh, it's a pretty cool fishery that not many people take advantage of. Obviously, pop uh, smallmouth have gotten much more popular in the last uh, few years, and you know, the chance for an angler who doesn't have a boat who doesn't have access to big smallmouth most of the year uh, to be able to come up here and, and catch a, you know, 20, 21, 22 inch, you know, five, six pound smallmouth. It's pretty cool, you know, because those, those fish are hard to come by. We have a good opportunity for them here. Um, and that kind of, that'll last from, let's say late April through May into mid-June. Um, and when it peaks really just depends on the year because it is a migratory fishery. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a little different every year. Anytime you're talking about migratory fish, things can change uh, from year to year and, and typically do. Um, <clears throat> and then we also have some rivers, not necessarily tributary rivers, but a lot of other rivers in the state here that have very good uh, um, populations of resident smallmouth. Um, they're not the biggest smallmouth around. You know, an 18-incher would be a pretty darn nice one, but quite a few fish in that 14, 15, 16 16 inch range that, that could keep you pretty busy throughout the course of the day. You know, it's in, in, and there's good numbers of them if, if you're willing to look for them and search it out a little bit. So we do quite a bit of guiding for, for that as well. Um, a couple of our guides over the last couple of years, uh, specifically, you know, Mike and Anthony have been um, getting that smallmouth fishery dialed in really well for us. Um, so, and they're building that pretty darn good. We're getting more and more 
anglers each year to take advantage of the smallmouth fishery. And right along with that, um, a lot of those same rivers also have very good pike populations. Um, you know, we can obviously do uh, pike-specific guided trips, and, and we do. Uh, a lot of times we kind of do mixed bag trips. You know, it's kind of, you know, you catch a, hand, a nice bunch of smallmouth and you catch a few nice pike along the way. And uh, I don't think it's something that a lot of people think about when they think about Northeast Ohio, but it is something that we definitely have and is uh, definitely gain, gaining popularity with our, our client base as we introduce more and more of them to, to those fisheries. They're pretty excited about it. It gives them something to do over the summer. A lot of guys. You know, it's weird being in a fly shop and you're busy, you're slow times the summer, right? You're like, all right, what? Are we, all right, steelhead season's over. It's the end of April. What are we going to do with all the fishermen now, right? Um, and a lot of them put their rods away in, at the end of April, and early May. Um, so we're trying to find ways to uh, get guys to say, hey, you know, steelhead season's great, and it is, but let's look at the smallmouth fishery. Let's look at the pike fishery. You know, we do a lot of trout stuff over in PA. Um, and the other thing we do that, you know, and a lot of people are going to be like, oh, shh, shh, don't say it, don't say it. Um, but, you know, we have a pretty cool musky fishery here in Ohio as well. Um, and, you know, they're, they're you know, the same same couple of guys, Mike and Anthony and Cole, are uh, getting that musky fishing going pretty good. And, and they're building up a pretty good clientele uh, along those lines as well. And, you know... Uh, you know, because and I don't know much to be honest with you. Musky fishing is not my thing. Um, it's nothing that I know a ton about, but but they certainly do. And a couple times a year, they take me out. And you know what? We always catch muskies. And I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be tricky. And they're like, Well, it it is until you figure it out. And we're lucky that we have we have a lot of fish here too. Um, so so that's getting going. So we have that also. Um, and then you know that's probably you know, the, the mostly what we do, we, as far as the, the stuff right outside in, you know, from the shop, you know, within an hour, hour and a half from, from the shop doors. So it's pretty good, really. I, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, I don't think I know a lot of people when they come to steelhead fish or they come to bass fish or they come to musky fish, they're like, wow, I didn't know you guys had this quality of fish in here. So that's kind of cool to hear. Yeah, I want to touch on each of these a little bit and just kind of get an overview of each one. But uh, let's start with steelhead. Um, mm -hmm. First question I had is around the fact that you said it goes from like mid-October to kind of springtime. Is that a legal designation or is that just you can start fishing for them when they come in and then they stop coming in and it kind of it kind of fades away? Yeah, so that's, you know, the, the just kind of when they're in the rivers. Okay. You know, they fish for them year-round. They catch them in Lake Erie in the summertime. But that's kind of if you had to ballpark say, hey, my name's Katie. I want to come to Ohio and steelhead fish. You know, when do you guys start and when do you finish? I would say, you know, we start around mid-October and we finish around mid-late April. And is it peak at a certain time? Is it like you can come mid-October, but it might be kind of slow. But if you come in, you know, late November, then it's going to be really hot. Does it kind of does it pick up as it goes? So it, it does. And anytime, I don't know if you have much experience with migratory fish, but you know, you can generalize and you can ballpark things, but every year is a little different because they're migratory. Um, and a lot depends on, you know, rainfall and water temperatures and those kind of things. For instance, you know, this year we haven't had a lot of rain. Obviously, you know, we, we rainfall, we're very dependent on rainfall in our rivers to bring the water levels up and allow the fish to come in. Um, and the rain's been very localized this year. A couple of the rivers have gotten good amounts of rain. 
and the rest of them haven't. So um, while those rivers are fishing very good, if you came up and, and fished some of the other rivers the first part of October and early November, you'd be disappointed where if you fish the rivers that had some rain and allowed the fish to come in, the fishing would be very good. So so it depends from year to year, um, and it changes from year to year. But um, overall, you know, everything else being equal, I think most people that have been steelheading for a long time would probably say, yeah, October can be good, but November and December are pretty solid. You know, if you're coming in from out of town, I would say late November, December is kind of a safe a safe bet to to know there will be fish in the system. And if we get a little precipitation, it'll probably be snow instead of rain, so the rivers won't blow out on you. And then, you know, looking into the springtime, you know, late February, March, and the first 10 days or so of April is pretty hard to beat most years. You mentioned that uh, sometimes in like the middle of winter, the, the rivers will freeze up and stop you. Mm-hmm. But if they're not frozen over, is the bite pretty good all winter long, like regardless of weather? Or will, will something turn them off? Like if you get a big blizzard or something, will they turn off for a little bit or go right through it like nothing happened? Yeah, no, you know, fish really don't have a calendar, right? And and so they, they respond more to the conditions and water temperatures and things like that. You know, if the, if, you know, February's kind of warm and, and we get some more rain than snow and the water comes up, the fish move in, right? And they, they come up and and they look out, seek out the the spawning areas, and they kind of get get pre-spawn, and they're holding in the holes and the runs. And um, the fishing can be as good, if not better, than it than it is other times of the year. I've, but the the hard thing is, it's hard to anticipate and guess when that's going to happen for for folks coming in from out of town. If you're local, you can kind of you have your finger on the pulse of it a little bit, but it's hard to guesstimate from year to year what's going to happen. And tell me about the crowds, because I hear a lot about like the shoulder-to-shoulder fishing for steelhead in those tributaries. How does one go about finding you know, a spot to fish where they're not going to be touching you know, six other people at the same time? Sure. You know, so uh, Ohio was a pretty well-kept secret for a lot of years. Um, we had pretty darn good fishing and not a lot of anglers. Um, you know, and, and then rewind to 2019 and, and COVID and everybody was looking for something to do outside. The, the fly fishing in the area really took off, you know, so there's a lot more local anglers on the water now as well. And there's we're also getting a lot of people from out of state coming in. Um, so while it's definitely a little it's more crowded than it used to be, it's not it's not I would I have never seen and I hope I never do see, you know, the type of experiences you're talking about, you know, that kind of, and, you know, this coming from a guy that owns a fly shop, right? The more anglers, the better. I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, I like a little bit of space and elbow room myself. So while it can get crowded in areas, uh, in certain areas at certain times, overall, you know, we're pretty lucky. We have a lot of river miles to fish. Um, uh, so I, you can definitely get away from people if you want to. Yeah. Is it just a matter of walking a little farther from the car or is it like you get finding, yeah. finding a secret tributary that like no one else knows about? Yeah, I don't think there's any <laughs> secrets um, as far as, you know, rivers and tributaries go. But okay. yeah, it's just it's just about, you know, just staying ahead of the, the curve a little bit. And how about techniques? Uh, like what kinds of flies are you throwing for them and how are you presenting those flies? Yeah, so I think most people, um, the most effective way to fish is just a, a, an indicator and infrared. Um, I don't know if you've ever fished for steelhead, and it doesn't matter if it's on the West Coast or in the Great Lakes. They are not the fussiest fish to catch, especially when they're in a good mood. I mean, they eat pink 
pieces of fuzz and green pieces of fuzz and yellow pieces of fuzz, right? Or big streamers or whatever. So um, now that's when they're in a good mood. So don't get me wrong. I think the biggest, so indicator nip fishing, usually with some type of egg pattern. And uh, at least in our area underneath that, you know, if the water gets low and clear, nymphs can can come into play very much so. But most of the time, you know, these fish are swimming around Lake Erie for two, three years before they come into the river. So they're very keyed in on and know what bait fish are, right? They eat a lot of smelt, shad, alewives, that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, usually some type of egg pattern because, you know, rainbows just, they eat eggs. That's what they do. And then, you know, underneath that, some kind of woolly bugger, zonker, um, a sparkle minnow type thing, just something that looks like uh, a bait fish. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, the, the, the two-handed fishing has gotten much more popular uh, in the last 10, 12 years here in the Great Lakes, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, kind of borrowed that from our, from the West Coast guys, you know, with the, we use a little shorter rods here for the most part, because our rivers are a little smaller, but, um, you know, kind of the same concept with the switch rods, scadget heads and the sink tip and, you know, swinging streamers and string leeches and uh, things like that when the water's up and a little off color has become very popular and is a great way to to target these fish as well. So indicator nymph fishing, number one, and then, uh, you know, swinging streamers, number two, for sure. Is, uh, when you say number two, do you mean number two in terms of effectiveness or popularity or something else? Because I, when I hear about uh, swinging streamers for steelhead, I picture it being uh, a technique that people often use not because it's particularly effective, but because it's just a really, really fun way to hook a steelhead when you do. Um, and you hear about people on the West Coast, at least, that go, you know, they might go out 10 times and finally hook one on the swing, but that's what they were waiting for is like that one that one moment. So is it is it similar there or is, does it seem to be actually, you know, a pretty effective way to get fish. No, it 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 definitely it's it's still probably number two in effectiveness, but some days it's not far behind. The you know the fish we have here are pretty crabby. Um, we're lucky, and uh, if yeah, no, it's it 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 works pretty well. Okay, and yeah. how wide how wide rivers are we talking about? So it, it depends. Average. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you know, not super wide. I mean, anywhere from. Oh, if I had to ballpark it, let me think here. Um, anywhere from, you know, at the narrowest, you know, the small tributaries and streams, you know, 50, 60 feet. And then, you know, I'd say the the the, the medium-sized rivers are, you know, uh, let me think here, probably, you know, 160, 170 feet, you know, from bank to bank. And then a couple of the bigger rivers, like the Cuyahoga and the Grand, a few hundred feet. Uh, so it, it just depends. It varies. We're lucky in that we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of options in both river length, you know, and, and river size. How much does sight fishing come into play? Are you often spotting the fish you're going for before you cast or is it a lot of blind casting? Um, well, you'll hear a lot of people um, talk about, uh, unfortunately, talk about sight fishing for steelhead in the Great Lakes. And the reason I say unfortunately, because usually with what they're referring to is targeting spawning fish, which is something we try to discourage and definitely do not do. Um, when the water gets a little low and clear, can you see fish sometimes moving around? You can. You got to remember, you know, steelhead. Um, you, you know, they want to be in very specific places in the river. They're not there to feed. They're not there to uh, be exposed. They're not like a resident trout where they might be in a little side channel 
or a back eddy. You know, they're going to try and be in the deepest, darkest spot they can find. So sight fishing for them, while possible, um, you know, usually you're not going to see them. And the, and the other reason being our rivers, they run a little dirty. Like for us, you know, if I have, if I'm standing, if I have two feet of visibility, that's about ideal. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Okay. So, um, yeah. Is there much pushback on the people who are sight fishing for spawning fish? Or is it, if it, is it so prevalent that it's almost like a mainstream culture? Um, it, it's, it's pretty prevalent. You know, I think a lot of people, that's, you know, what they think of when they think of steelhead fishing, unfortunately, you know, they, um, which is a shame because, you know, and, and again, uh, a lot of people will come in the shop like, Hey, I, you know, I, f- I walked two miles of the river and I didn't see any fish. When are they coming in? And this is like March, right? And we've already been catching fish for five months, but they think the fish aren't in and, in the river until they can see him spawning, which is unfortunate because they're missing out on a lot of good fishing. Um, as far as pushback goes, there's not a lot to be honest because um, our fishery—it's it, mostly—it's mostly, it, it's mostly uh, from stocked fish, right? They stock them as smolts, as fingerlings, you know, six, seven inches long. And then they swim out the Lake Erie, and then they come back a few years later. So while those spawning fish do spawn, while they do reproduce, the eggs hatch. Uh, unfortunately, our rivers, for the most part, just get too darn warm for those fish to to survive. Um, they just, they just kind of get baked, you know, our river temps go up to 85 degrees in the summer, right? Not very conducive to, to steelhead. So, um, the point being, um, while personally I'm not a big fan and I don't think, um, you should target fish on beds. Luckily our fishery doesn't depend on the reproduction of those. Not luckily. I mean, it'd be great if it did. Right. But, uh, it, it, it doesn't affect the numbers of fish, you know, and, and in the rivers, the next season, that kind of thing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Do you uh, ever hear the argument that um, because they get stocked, that it's not a problem? Is that a common thing that people kind of use to defend fishing on beds? You know, unfortunately, it is, and and even more so. You know, take it one step further. You see people, you know, who are like, well, you know, when they post pic pictures or videos on Instagram, you know, they drag fish up on the rocks and they're, you know, in the mud and the silt and they kick them back in the water and like, oh, it's just a stocked fish, right? And you're like, well, yeah, but it's still a living creature and it still took a lot of effort to get that right. fish from an egg to a nine pound steelhead that's in the river. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, that is a um, defense that a lot of people use when it to give them a, an excuse or a reason to mistreat or misuse the resource. Unfortunately, it's not most people, but it is it is some people. Yeah, I mean it. I it even if it doesn't affect the population, like you've got to acknowledge that that's a you know living breathing creature that doesn't want to get kicked in the mud any more than any other steelhead just because it got stocked. Like that steelhead doesn't know that it's that it's not a you know a wild fish. <laughs> yeah, like what I do to you, man. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree, I agree. But if you you can't you can't talk reason to some folks. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, you mentioned that the sight fishing often happens when you're what, for those people that are fishing the spawning fish. Is it because they get far enough up into the river system that they become visible in the smaller water? Is that what makes them more sight fishable than uh, other steelhead that are not spawning? So I think it's a combination of a few factors. Um, so one, the longer, especially the males, the longer they're in the river, the darker they get, right? Okay. So, so they, they'll stand out a little more. You'll see these big dark shadows where the hens that are, you know, still nice and chrome and bright, just kind of blend in a little bit better. Um, and then the other thing is 
uh, like I said, the, our rivers are very dependent on rainfall, and they can get very low and clear without it. Um, so if if we haven't had a lot of rain um, in the in the rivers drop and get low and clear, and you got literally sixty steelhead in a in a pool the size of three bathtubs, are going to stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the smallmouth bass, I want to hear more about the migratory ones, the ones that come in, you said kind of at the, t- you said, do they come in kind of at the tail end of the steelhead season? Is that roughly mm-hmm. their timeline? Um, yeah. So do you, do they ever overlap? Like, do you ever go on a trip that's like, we're going to throw some flies for steelhead and then switch over and cast for smallmouths? Or are they kind of like separate in where they live or what they're eating or what's, you know, just tell me more about them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like like a lot of migratory species, the answer is both yes and no. So. Um, there are definitely times from, again, it's a water temperature thing when the smallmouth start coming in. Um, there are definitely times when you can target both smallmouth and steelhead, and, and you'll catch them in the same runs, right? You're, you'll catch a couple steelhead, and then you'll hook something, and you'll feel like, oh, man, this fish feels a little different. It's good size, but it's just, you know, feel, and then all of a sudden, you'll see a, a big smallmouth come jumping out of the water or, or try to, so... Um, but they do occupy, for the most part, a little different places in the river. While while the steelhead, while the water's warming up, you'll find the steelhead more in the more in the faster, more oxygenated water with more current, because the water's starting to warm up a little bit for them. And the smallmouth are just coming in; the water's just starting to get to a temperature they like, so they're still going to be in a little slower, deeper, bouldery, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Uh, they do overlap uh, at times for sure. Um, and you can catch them, you know, the best thing in the spring, really the best way to target both of them is just swinging streamers in the tail outs and then in the runs and stuff like that. And, you know, the small mouth will be on the, either the outside slower water or the inside slower water and the steel head will be more tucked in into the, 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 the faster, more, more, uh, water where there's a little more current, but, uh, yeah, you definitely can target both of them and have a, you know, a fun to, it's kind of my one of my favorite times a year to fish because you can target both smallmouth and steelhead and it's also a great time a lot of people you know if you went to any one of our river, rivers on april 10th you'd be like wow there's you know there's a lot of people fishing <laughs> you know it's pretty popular if you went to that same river probably on april 20th you would see probably zero anglers and there's still the same amount of steelhead in the rivers and there's also a bunch of steelhead. So it's a pretty fun time of year for the, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've been steelheading since mid-October. And now it's time to get the bass boats out or the walleye boats out or the golf clubs out. And, you know, they kind of give up on the steelhead and the river fishing and they go on to other things uh, where, you know, if you want to uh, continue steelhead fishing and get into the smallmouth fishing, it's a great time of year to do it because it's like somebody flipped a light switch. It's like one day there's a bunch of people fishing and then it's like, heck, where did everybody go? They're still fishing probably, but they're just doing different kinds of fishing. Yeah. So it's it's not even a matter of just that you can target them at the same time. Like you might catch both fish on the same like rig, same technique. Like you're going to cast a streamer out and you may catch a steelhead or a smallmouth and not even know until it's on the end of your line that you've you've got one or the other. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like we fish, you know, when the when the uh, um, you know when when we get a lot of uh, steelhead spawning in the spring, obviously, and we get a lot of uh, white suckers that come in from Lake Erie that 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 uh, uh, spawn in the spring. So we're fishing a lot of egg patterns, and anything that comes into the river, 
you know, you got all these eggs in the river and, you know, it's, it's a nice, easy food source, right? It doesn't swim away. It doesn't fight back. So we'll be fishing a lot of beads and stuff like that. And, you know, you'll catch a big smallmouth on a bead just like you will a steelhead, oh, which wow. is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And how big did you say the migratory smallmouth get? Like on, you know, roughly? I, I'd say the biggest one we got last year was about seven and a half pounds. Wow. Yeah, it's a big fish. And, and, we, and we catch them like that every year and other anglers catch them like that every year. The biggest one I've heard of was almost nine. Um, it, it was huge. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, obviously a lot of them are that two to three pound range, but there there are definitely some giants that come in. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like then, you know, the same rod would be great for both these smallmouths and steelhead. Like I'm picturing like an eight, eight ish weight. Is that roughly correct? I'm not a steelhead expert, so I, I could be wrong, but I'm picturing like an eight ish weight. Sure. No. So I, I think most folks around here, some people use an eight, some people will use a six, but I, the kind of for our rivers and our fishery, um, about a 10 foot seven weight is just okay. about ideal. Yep. Yep. And that sounds like it would work great for both the steelhead and the small mouse. You, you wouldn't be, you know, under or over gunned with that, you know, six to eight for both of those species. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, yeah, I wish that wasn't the case so I could sell everybody a small mouth rod, but yeah, no, the seven <laughs> weight works pretty good. <laughs> and how about the the pike, um, are they at all overlapping with either of these? I, I don't feel like this time of year, that doesn't sound um, right to me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what the pike are doing uh, sure. in your river systems, but do they ever overlap? Or if not, you know, when are you going after the pike and where? Yeah, so that's um, the, 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 the time frame can overlap, but it's totally different rivers. So okay. you won't find, yeah, you, we, we don't, that'd be pretty cool, huh? Pike, smallmouth, and steelhead. <laughs> uh, but uh, the pike, the pike rivers, the resident pike and the resident smallmouth rivers are, are different than the tributaries that we fish for the, for the migratory gotcha. steelhead and, and bass. Yep. And so uh, they are living with the resident smallmouths, and they're just, these aren't even tributaries of Lake Erie. These are just completely uh, separate rivers. Erie, correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And how about, like, just tell me about the, the pike fishery then, and maybe you can tie in the, the resident smallmouth fishery. Uh, what are you using for them? When are you going out after them? Um, just the, sure. the whole shebang. Yeah. So we, we like to target the pike. Um, you know, March, April is, is kind of prime time. Um, May and early June, and May and June are very good also. The water temps start to get a little warm in July. Obviously, you can catch them, um, but, you know, they they get a little, you know, it's just the water temps are a little warm for fighting pike. You know, they get built up some lactic acid and those kind of stuff, things. So we we try and focus more on the smallmouth in the summer. So so the pike fishery, you know, March, April, May, June, we kind of tend to to back off of those come come July, August, first part of September, and then when the water temps start cooling down a little bit um, in the fall, when they start and they they obviously start getting hungrier and, and more aggressive as well. So uh, that that's kind of our, our pike window or window or window, so to speak. And you know the flies are not that we catch giant pike because we really don't. You know a good pike around here is thirty three, thirty four, thirty five inches, um, but you still want to throw a need to throw a little bigger fly a lot of times to get their attention so like a nine weight is a pretty solid pike outfit for our area nine weight with a with a sink tip line kind of thing so we can throw some of those bigger flies yep and would you the same way that i asked about the steelhead kind of overlapping like could you catch them on the same rig would you be able to catch small pike and small mouth on the same roughly the same outfit or would you kind of switch things up yeah. and go from one to the other yeah for sure so um and even to get into it a little more a lot of the rivers that uh we musky fish for uh, uh or musky fish and also have uh small mouth and 
you know, you catch some really big smallmouth on pike and musky flies. Um, you also, we also catch some really big walleye on pike and musky flies in the, in oh, the okay. rivers, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, you can definitely um, catch multiple species on the same fly and in the same day for sure. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes not so much. Well, you just caught my attention with walleye because I don't, hear about it very frequently in the fly fishing world but i grew up on sure. a like a walleye river it had a ton of walleye in it and so i grew up catching walleye while i was smallmouth fishing so i, I want to hear more about the walleye fishery i might spend the rest of the episode hearing about that because it's just it's not a species i hear about very frequently on the fly sure well i i wouldn't say we have a walleye fishery okay okay <laughs> well that's not true we do in lake Erie, but uh, on the river and on the fly now now that now that's not true we we do have a couple guys uh on Lake Erie, who target walleye pretty successfully on the fly, um, especially spring and fall. Um, now, the rivers we fish, it's more of an incidental catch um, because walleyes do seem to be, and again, I'm getting a little bit outside of what I know, but this is kind of more what I hear from people who do know, um, is that you know walleye can be a little tricky on the fly, and you have to do certain things a certain way to be successful in, in targeting them. And when, when, when our guys catch them, it's usually, again, they're targeting musky, they're targeting pike with very large flies, um, and they just happen to catch a big walleye. Um, usually it's in the spring in the fall or it can be sometimes it's in the spring usually it's in the fall when those fish are getting hungry and starting to store up for winter and where do you find that they hang out in the river you said it's kind of incidental but at least in my experience they were in just kind of the deeper holes of the the river like where the river became most like a lake but um what you know have you found kind of patterns of where they like to hang out yeah, I think what you just just described is kind of a hundred percent it, right? It's uh, you know n- near the current, but not in the current, um, and in 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 a little bit slower, a little bit deeper, a little bit tank, like kind of like like you said, it's it's not quite a river, but it's and it's not quite a lake, but it's kind of in between. Um, it, at least for the bigger ones, obviously you get you know some smaller fish hanging in and around in some of the faster currents, but it, it seems like the bigger fish are, are exactly what what you described. And do you notice that they're they're usually caught more like around dawn and dusk, or do they are they still eating kind of midday? Um, no, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, in in the fall when they do catch them, it it I we have not, and I shouldn't say I don't know that we've caught enough of them to uh, establish a pattern. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, maybe usually... I'm blowing this up more in my mind because uh, the river I grew up on, it's like it transitioned from a smallmouth fishery almost to like, I would say more than 50% of the fish I catch out of there are walleye now. And cool. so that's, that's maybe what I'm going off in my mind. And maybe I'm conflating like one to two walleye a year with like this, this grand fishery. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's what we're catching. We're catching a handful of walleye on the uh, okay. a year <laughs> fishing for, for pike and muskie. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and have, and, you know, if we explored it a little more, could we catch a few more walleyes? Maybe, maybe, but we haven't, we haven't gotten into it yet. And between the pike and the muskie, are you uh, separating those uh, a decent bit? Because I talked to someone before about pike and muskie, and I, in my mind, and I feel like a lot of pe- other people's mind, they're they're kind of similar fish, but I know they're not. Like they do, they do have their own peculiarities, and they, you know, they have different behaviors and things, even if they look uh, a lot alike. Are, how are you targeting them in different ways to ensure, like, okay, I want to catch a pike versus I want to catch a muskie? Sure. So, um, you know, at least here. Um, a lot of them you just find in different watersheds. So a lot of them where you have a lot of pike because of the way pike and muskie spawn, you won't have as many muskies um, and, and vice versa. So 
you know, usually when, um, you know, if you're, if you're fishing, a, a one watershed will have more, it will be a pike fishery and another watershed will be a musky fishery. So okay. they, they, at least where we are, they don't overlap much. And do you know, is that just because they prefer different habitat types? You know, um, I don't, I, I think a lot of it, and again, don't quote me on this because I don't understand it a hundred percent because they're not, uh, what I specialize in, but from what I understand, a lot of it has to do with the timing of their, their spawning. So pike spawn earlier in the spring than, than musky, right? So the, the way I understand it, a lot of muskies, young juvenile muskies, uh, first year muskies get predated on by young pike because pikes and by the, by the pike, because the pikes spawn earlier. So, um, you know the musk they don't they don't coexist well um so usually at least around here it's it's too, like i said there, there is some overlap you might you know I, I i know the guys are always like hey we were musky fishing at such and such today and we caught a huge pike it, it was like crazy because we never catch pike there so you know i don't i don't know and again don't quote me on any, a whole lot of that because th- th- they're you know i'm more of a steelhead bass trout guy but this is the, what i get from 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 the guides uh who work out of the shop but and other things, but that that seems to be the case around here. Gotcha. Is this all wade fishing, or do you do any boat trips? Mm, so no, a lot of it is boat trips. Um, okay. We we fish a lot of rafts. Um, you know, a lot of our we don't have a lot of gradient in Ohio, um, and we got to get around a lot of logs and obstructions and things like that. So rafts suit what we're doing a little better, or actually much better than say like your more traditional drift boat would. Um, so yeah, so the steelhead fishing, um, a lot of walk wade fishing and a lot of float. We do a lot of floats as well, just depending on what you want to do. The smallmouth and pike and musky stuff is pretty much all, all floats. Oh, really? Okay. For some yep. reason, I just pictured a lot of wade fishing, but maybe that's just because, um, when I fished the, like your tributaries, it was kind of too, the water was too small to take a boat on. And I think I've maybe, uh, extrapolated that out and assumed that that's mostly what you were doing, but it's, it's cool to hear that you've got a lot of the, the float trips too, for the. Uh, the other species yeah no absolutely it is it's it's just it's if 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 you've been in a many boats or rafts and, and gone down the river it's just a great way to fish right it's just fun and then you mentioned uh just to wrap up you mentioned trout over in pennsylvania is is pennsylvania kind of the spot to go for trout or there is there anything nearby you or is that more of a someone comes in and they want to fish trout you're like we've got to we'll go make a destination out of it and head to head across the border yeah so you know ohio kind of got cheated a little bit when it comes to you know you got Michigan over here which has good trout fishing you got PA on the other side has decent trout fishing you know you got West Virginia to the south which has good trout fishing and then somehow uh, Ohio kind of got left out of the mix um, so while we do have a couple you know Mohican State Park there's a little bit of trout fishing but you know for 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 people in Ohio that want to go trout fishing and you know have a nice trout fishing experience I think. Uh, Pennsylvania is definitely uh, the closest and best trout fishery we have. So, um, and like we could be trout fishing in PA from our shop in an hour and 20 minutes, which okay. is pretty darn nice. Yeah. Um, and then we do a lot of overnight stuff too. I mean, you, 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 you know, central PA and north central PA and things like that as well. And your clients, when they go over there, are they typically wanting to catch a specific species? Like, are they wanting to catch brown trout or something uh, specifically? Or is it all over the the map what people want to fish for, trout-wise? Yeah, I think most of them just want to go, you know, if they haven't been trout fishing, kind of see what it's all about. If they have been trout fishing, 
Um, just, just go enjoy the experience in the time on the water. Um, once in a while you'll get somebody to say, Hey, I want to go catch some native brookies up in the mountains. Right. And, and that's super cool. And we can do that. Um, the other requests we get, you know, a lot of people like, Oh, I'd love to, you know, catch, catch a few trout on the dry fly. Right. Which is kind of the ultimate. So, and we, obviously we can do that as well. So species wise, we don't get a ton of requests other than, you know, than the native brookies. Okay. You know, but a lot of the requests we do get like, oh, I'm going to do some dry, do some dry fly fishing, you know. And uh, is there anything that I didn't cover that you would particularly like to highlight? Like if someone's coming to your neck of the woods, uh, you know, how, how would you sell them or, or what would you tell them uh, to kind of give them a good experience and get them excited about your, your part of the country? Mm, you know, I'd say, I would say come here with an open mind. You know, um, I can't tell you how many people we, we've taken out and we've I've fished with over the years. And they're like, you know, I didn't know what to expect when, you know, I was coming to Northeast Ohio because, you know, you get, you know, Cleveland, right? You get a lot of that mistake by the lake and the Cuyahoga River catching on fire and everything <laughs> else. So, it, you know, history hasn't been great. And, it, you know, unfortunately, people remember uh, those negative things kind of stick with them. Um, but we do have we have great rivers. Um, Cleveland has um, a, a wonderful food scene. I mean, great, fantastic restaurants. It has the second biggest theater district uh, on the East Coast. It has wonderful, uh, you know, you know, kind of Broadway shows and things like that. Um, so the city itself is, is very vibrant. Um, and, and the fisheries, you know, people get on the rivers and they're like, wow, I had no idea, you know. Like, I didn't know you had bald eagles. I mean, we've seen five bald <laughs> eagles today. How cool is that? You know what I mean? And those kind of things. So I would say come with an open mind. Um, you know, and, and just be willing to experience, you know, new place, new things, new people. And I think if you do that, you'll, you'll have a really good time and you'll probably catch a couple of cool fish as well. Sounds great. Well, uh, Dan, just to wrap up, um, where can people find you if they want to either, um, you know, find you online or come book a trip with you or just come visit the fly shop and pick up some flies? Where's the best place to do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, our fly shop is located in downtown Chagrin Falls, just a little south and a little east of Cleveland. Our, our website is www.chagrinriveroutfitters.com. Obviously, we have, you know, we have Facebook, we have Instagram as well, you know, Chagrin River Outfitters um, for both of those. Um, you know, the phone numbers and, and contact info are all on the website as well. Uh, so I think between all those things, you know, they could definitely, you know, if you're looking for us, you'll find us for sure. And we'd, we'd love to love to take anybody fishing for a day or have them in the shop. I might have to stop in sometime. We uh, come to Cleveland at least once or twice a year. So um, maybe I'll come over and say hi next time we're in town. Well, I would be uh, extremely disappointed if you were in town and at least didn't come in and say hello. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I'll make a point to, to come do that next time I'm there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dan. This is a lot of fun. And uh, it's, it's nice to talk to people from the area where I grew up because it's just, I, I like hearing about all the species that I don't get to fish for anymore out here in Colorado. Uh, it's yeah. a nice uh, burst of nostalgia. Yeah, no, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're struggling for, for things to throw a fly at out there. I feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a rough life out here. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk soon or see each other soon. All right. Thank you very much, Katie. All right. That's a wrap. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you want to find all the other episodes as well as show notes, you can find those on fishuntamed.com. Um, you'll also find a contact link there if you want to reach out to me. And you can also find me on Instagram at fishuntamed. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can give it a follow on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And if you'd like to leave a review, it would be greatly appreciated. 
Uh, But otherwise, thank you all again for listening. I'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Take care, everybody.